Well, it's a sunny day in Bromley, and the Bromley Buzz team of uh, Zenat Narani and Darren Weir are in the Newman Flexible Workspace once more, and we have a special guest. We do indeed. Yes, uh, council member of the Greater London Assembly, Peter Fortune. Welcome. Thank you very much. Yes, former councillor. I am. I am no longer with Bromley Council. I am a sole assembly member. I am now serving the people of Bexley and Bromley. Well, you were before as a councillor, of course, in yes. Bromley, mm. and you were the deputy leader of the council, I believe. Yeah, it was one of the, a couple of roles I had. I was deputy leader for uh, a few years, which was that was great fun learning all about the borough. I had responsibility for uh, children and families, mm-hmm. which was um, that was a, a that was a huge amount of work and a real privilege to do that job. And I, I also worked on the um, the health and wellbeing board as well. Fantastic. Uh, That's good. Which I know there might be some questions about that later. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, part of what we want to do today is to give people insight into yourself and also to kind of demystify the Greater London Authority itself. Now, I cannot speak for the listeners, but I know little about it. So, what is the Greater London Authority? That's a really interesting question, Darren, and I think it is also the biggest challenge that the the GLA has. Um, There is a a difference of awareness, I think, in inner and outer London, and that's that's quite key as well, and that, I think, is the basis of some of the challenges it had, and we we might come back to that a little bit, um, a little bit later. But the GLA is, uh, it's a collection of organisations. So it's the Metropolitan Police, it's the London Fire Brigade, um, Transport for London, and you've got all these organisations which are working to the devolved authority that is, that is London, that is under the sort of chairmanship, if you will, of, of Sadiq Khan, who's the Mayor of London. Now the part I'm involved in is the London Assembly, and if people don't know about the GLA, they've certainly never heard of the London Assembly. The London Assembly is the, the scrutiny function. So it's, it's our job to look at the performance of the mayor, the mayor's office, the police, fire brigade, TFL, etc., and to try and do the best we can to make sure they're delivering for Londoners. But it's, it's a big old organisation, and being completely honest with you, as I will throughout this interview, <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't know that much about it before I sort of started to get into the process uh, of running for it. Obviously, working at the local authority, I had some dealings with it because TFL will passport the money through to local authorities for, you know, transport improvement projects. Dealing with your local police force, etc., that would come through via the, the GLA and the Met through to your, your local uh, uh, police organisations. But I didn't really understand the, the the inner workings of it, and I was absolutely surprised when I got to the mayor's budget. So here's here's the first starter question for ten. Bromley Bus team. Mm. Any idea what the mayor's budget is? I'm going to go with some number of millions of pounds, but I deliberately did not research this so yeah. it could fill us in. Mm. 19 Shocking. billion. Yeah. Wow. That's the fake. You can't see, lovely listeners, but there was there was lots of shock and amazement in the room. 19, <laughs> 19 billion quid is an awful lot of Londoners' money, right? Mm. And this is the money that's supposed to be used to improve transport, to improve infrastructure, to get housing projects going, to make sure the streets are, are safe. So it's, it's, it's really important. And going back to what I was saying, the big challenge is that people don't know about it. Mm. There is also a contrast between the Mayor of London, who I believe is the head of it all. Would that be right? It all depends. Um, it all depends on the day you catch him on. Yeah, so he's, he's, he, I mean, he would be more of a chairman, I think. So mm. the, the Met, for example, has got its commissioner. Uh, TFL's got its chief executive in Andy Byford. And it, it's the mayor's job. He has the, the democratic mandate to ensure these various organisations are delivering. So really, he should be doing, like an, like an executive chairman, he should be ensuring that these bodies are delivering. And then we as the London Assembly, which is just 25 members, mm. it's our job to then hold him to account on behalf of those people that we represent. Right. Yeah, because uh, something that did occur to me is that the Mayor of Bromley uh, is somewhat of a ceremonial figure. Yeah. And is a figure of unity. Yeah. Uh, that cannot be said in, in quite the same way for the Mayor of London. But anyway, I'll leave that observation where it is rather than expanding it. Yeah, and, you, and you've also, I think, touched upon one of the, the problems with the, with the way that the scrutiny function works at the London Assembly. And you know, I've been I've been there a year now, um, so I've I've gone through the drawers, I've kicked the tires, etc. And 
the London Assembly is essentially a scrutiny body. So, so it is there to hold the mayor to account. So, for example, yeah. yesterday we had the mayor and we had um, Ali Byford, who's the commissioner of, of TfL, and, and we were there to ask them questions. Big stuff's going on with TfL, right? Mm. Funding problems, um, the, the, what's important for us in, in Bexley and Bromley, the expansion of that, that ULES zone. Yeah. There's been some good news with the opening of the Elizabeth Line line. Mm. So, so good it's got two lines. Um, <laughs> so, so we're there to sort of sit there and say, right, are, are you delivering? Are you making yeah. sure you're doing what you, you said you were going to do? But the problem we have as a scrutiny body is we don't have any teeth. So even if we see that something isn't perhaps working, even if we find something mm. in the figures, or even if we can't find figures to see if something's working or not, it kind of stops there. And, that, and that's the challenge. Now, if you were to set up an ideal scrutiny function, in a way you would take the politics out of it, because like on a like with a board on a company, you would have people there who had um, you know, both a fiduciary responsibility and a moral responsibility to make sure the company was doing the best for the people it served, its customers, shareholders, etc. The trouble is when you have people who are elected into the scrutiny function, of course, the half that are of the same political persuasion as the mayor, one could suggest that the scrutiny is a touch soft. Mm. Mm. And and that is and, and I'm sure I'm sure it happened under previous mayors as well, um, but but that's I think a real challenge for the effectiveness of that scrutiny function of the London Assembly. So I mean, with that, I mean, what do you believe needs to happen or change? You know, the shift in that. So I think because the, it's obviously been going on for a very long time. Yeah, so it's twenty two years old the mm. London Assembly, and again, you know, twenty two years old—that's nearly a quarter of a century—but people. Mm in London, and especially out of London, don't really understand what it does. So it's not, it's not working well in terms of getting established in people's minds. Um, what can it do? Well, the, the problem is it doesn't have any power. So for example, the, the, the mayor's budget that was, that was put forward uh, a few months ago, in that was an 8.8% increase in the, in the council tax that the, the mayor was charging people in London. The majority of the London Assembly voted against that. So that was all of the Conservative group, all the Green group, and all the Liberal Democrat group. But because you need a two-third majority to overturn it, it was it was lost because of the mm-hmm. sort of baked-in um, uh, position that you find yourself because you have a, a larger number of people from the same party as the mayor. So, even if you find something, even if you vote against something, actually there's no result. Mm. You know, nothing happens as a result of that. So what needs to change with the London Assembly is that it needs to be, it needs to have some teeth. It needs to be able to do things. Um, and I think if you get that, the, the members on it, there will, there will be more accountability. Because at the moment, mm-hmm. being entirely honest, our meeting yesterday was about, what, started at 10, finished about 3 o'clock. But what was the outcome of it? But at the end of the day, what could we say? This is what we changed. So we found a bunch of stuff. We found that there were figures missing. Uh, we found that, certainly in our view, um, some people would have different views. Of course, we thought mm. that some things hadn't been properly thought through or researched or whatever. But it's the so what question at the end of it. Yeah. So it's about being productive from that point onward, yeah. and the like you mentioned, the accountability of it right. to drive yeah. it into action. I reckon if you go to some council leaders of whatever political hue, they will say, we'll get rid of the London Assembly, it's pointless, which is, that's an easy answer. Mm. Um, but going back to that 19 billion quid and that responsibility for policing, infrastructure, transport, etc., if somebody's going to have that much <laughs> power and that much control over London's finances, you need some sort of scrutiny function around it. Mm. Now, one of the things that struck me as interesting is that we have four MPs in the borough, yes. one borough, Yes. Uh, that are on the national platform, yet in the um, the GLA or the Assembly, yeah. uh, you've got one member, two boroughs. Yeah. In your case, and I don't know whether any of them have three boroughs or anything else around, but it seems a surprisingly small number for what should be a powerful role. So you have well, as I said, there's no real power in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's why I said it should be. So what's really <laughs> interesting mm. as the, as the portfolio holder for. Children and Families in Bromley mm. is, is really fantastic. Really, really proud of some of the work that we did there in terms of you know overturning an awful Ofsted result, 
putting in, you know, we put in new foster care packages, we've done a load of work, stuff, probably the best stuff I've ever worked on and I'm mm. most, you know, most proud of mm. around supporting our kids in care and people leaving care and stuff like that. But as a local councillor, I could pick up the phone and direct cash to uh, an intervention service. I could get some really smart officers to, to tackle a problem. As a London Assembly member, which I think to the layperson would feel like you've had a, a promotion, I have none of that power whatsoever. I have, I have no mm, budget. That's very interesting. I have no um, executive power to control or direct anything. My, my, my function is scrutiny. And, and it's interesting when you talk about... I told you I'd get excited, didn't I? <laughs> I said, the, the, the listeners can't hear this, but I'm jumping around in my seat Yeah, now. you are. Your eyes are suddenly popped yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get very excited. Um, I, we, there's a really good book by uh, Isabel Hardman, I think it is, that's called Why We Get the Wrong MPs. And in that book, she, she touches on the fact that people have lost an understanding of what the different levels of, of government does, right? So if you're, if you live in Bromley, you've probably got three ward councillors. You'll have me as your London Assembly representative. You'll also be represented by, I think, four or five other London-wide Assembly members. You'll also have an MP, and there's a mayor in there as well, right? So you're sitting there thinking, I'm represented by seven or eight people, and I can't get that flipping pothole filled. You know, what, what's, 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 what's going on? Where's all this money going? What's everyone doing? And it's because the different levels of government are doing different things. So Isabel Hardman touches on this in her book, that the function of a, of a member of parliament is to, is to scrutinise legislation that's being suggested by the executive. That's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. Now, some could argue that that's not being done as efficiently as it should be done, because that's not the focus either of the MPs or one could argue, the people that are sending the MPs to the House, because a member of parliament role is becoming more and more of a sort of uh, a community champion, a sort of a, a go-to sort of social worker, as it were. So that the four MPs that we have across the borough, that's simply because you say, well, how many people, you, you do an equation, how many people should an MP uh, be able to be contacted by, you know, whatever is 100,000, etc. What's a manageable case mm. of so they can manage that caseload where the legislation that they've approved is not being delivered properly, they can pick up that case for them. But then their primary function is, is to do that scrutiny. For me, my primary function is to scrutinise that the mayor is delivering on those promises. So actually the size of the borough, it still needs to be balanced because you still need fairness. But that is not as relevant as say when you're a ward councillor. When you're a ward councillor and you're one of a team representing 10,000 people, every single thing that lands on your desk is a problem that's directly impacting the way somebody's living their life, whether or not it's housing, whether or not it's children's social mm-hmm. care, whether or not it's adult social care, whether or not it's getting a school place, right? The councillors are the most misunderstood part of that, of that sort of tree of governance mm-hmm. in terms of their impact on people's day-to-day lives. And if, there is a, if there's an interesting conversation to be had, it's not necessarily why we're getting the wrong MPs. It's not necessarily what the hell's going on with regional scrutiny. It's the, the, those councillors that we have that work really hard, and are, you know, are friends across all the different um, political parties. They work really hard. They're really passionate for their communities. Mm. They they do this on top of work. Mm. I, used to, I used to love talking to people about councillors because there's a mis you know there's, there's, a, there's a misconception that somehow they've got executive. You know, pay and, and drivers and secretaries and all yeah. that sort of stuff. And I'd say to somebody, Well, how much do you think the leader of the council earns? And they'd say 150 grand, 200 grand, and I'd say 20 grand. And they, they wouldn't Shocking believe Shocking difference it. for them to understand. Be- yeah. Because it's not a pay, it's not a salary, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, a financial allowance, sometimes mm-hmm. on top of anything else they're managing to do. And what, and what I find, again, with councillors of all different political parties, is the more the responsibility they get at a local level, they tend to. They tend to do that full time. They tend to, you know, mm. move away from any employment they have, or they go part time, or you know. So yeah, <laughs> that, 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 are you okay, draw some water. <laughs> so, I'm drawing up all the cards. Professional, a professional <coughs> would have let that go. Well, what not would I did that? Yeah, that's <laughs> my job. Don't, don't edit that. Oh, goodness, I've been trying to hold it in. <laughs> and I thought you wouldn't stop talking. So, yeah. so, so my, my, jo- my job, because it's that, it's that, um, that scrutiny function wrong, it's, you know, the, it's a different responsibility to being a directly elected representative 
of people and getting involved in their day-to-day you know, mm. challenges. Well, we've touched upon this already, but um, tell us a bit on, on your background, um, right from the early days. Oh, the early days. Um, well, I'm, I'm, of, I'm of Irish stock, very, very Irish stock. Uh, my father moved from County Cork way. Uh, well, come to County Cork, Wexford, that sort of area. My father moved over here about a year before I was born, I think. Uh, he didn't stick around for very long, to be fair, after that. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm 80% Guinness, essentially. I'm working on the other twenty percent, as you can probably see. But uh, so yeah, so um, it was my mum, my brother, and I. We grew up in in Lambeth, so Brixton, Tulse Hill area, Tulse Estate, and then um, school in Stretton, a little mm. a little reservation in Stretton. Again, we were talking about PE mm, earlier. Earlier on, before my memory of my memory of my my brief and unsuccessful career at school was essentially running around Stretton Common. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was it. That's all we did. Sometimes with the football, sometimes without, depending uh, on the time of year. Yeah. Um, and then I did all sort of manner of things, really. I, I, I was in the military for a bit, which um, was, was unsuccessful. I don't like mud or loud noises. And the, the army specialises in that, so we agreed to part. Um, spent some time in the theatre, in a kind of sideways move. So wow. I was acting for, for a good many years, which I had. That was great fun. Um, all around the world doing that. Kapuk. Wow. Uh, Romeo. I was in Macbeth a good few times. Um, At last we've got Zeno Romeo. <laughs> well, I'm the perfect Juliet, I must and say. And there's a balcony. Yes. There's a balcony, there's balcony. balcony. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Like from win- yonder window break. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> the type of opportunity yeah. for later. That is, yes. It is, absolutely. I'll, I'll scream the lines from the, the bus car park. Yeah. It's nowhere near as romantic as Darren's sitting out. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to come up yeah. to the balcony, uh, but... <laughs> slowly. Well, I don't suppose I can, I can provoke you into a little uh, soliloquy or anything out of the acting. What would you like? Well, Romeo would be nice. Yeah. Oh, gosh, this goes back years. But um, what did, what did Romeo do? Well, the Juliet scene, I'm going to get some of this wrong, but, it, but soft, what, like, three under window break? It is the east and Juliet is the sun of the moon. Arise, fair sun, and arise, fair sun, and kill the envious yes. moon, who is already sick and pale with grief that thou her maid art far more fair than she. Oh, my heart. Have that, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need a man in my life anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, uh, yeah, but I had a great time doing that. I yeah. to, but really, I played the Bayreuth Theatre, um, which is Wagner's theatre, um, which it was designed for the, the ring cycle. It was, it was extraordinary. So I did that for a bit, and I was enjoying that, and then my, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, uh, and I had a, a little surprise. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> so that was a kind of... There was a, there was a, I remember it very, very clearly. I was touring and I, and you know, when you're touring, I don't know if you've ever sort of worked in the, in the arts, um, you, you get, you get, you get some time off and I, I came back to the flat and I had a bottle of wine to, to see my girlfriend. I had a bottle of wine, I think some kebabs, cause I'm that classy <laughs> and, uh, and a view to a romantic evening. And, uh, I said, yeah, I'm back. I've, I've arrived yeah. and I was to tell her about how fabulous I'd been all week. And I said, do you want some wine? And she looked at me and she said, no, I can't. Uh. And I thought, okay. <laughs> I'm just down the bottle then. I'll uh, down the bottle and go and get a proper job, shall I? So, so that's, that's, what, that's what happened. I did, I mean, I did okay. I was doing okay in the theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never out of work. Just sort of, because I'm sort of short and funny looking. There was always sort of a character role to put me in. Um, but it was just the touring. Yeah. Touring is not great if you've got, if you've got family yeah it's, it's it's a hard life yeah and tv was never interesting i did it once or twice but i just found it quite dull um, what would you say your biggest and greatest memory of that time would be for you it's overcoming fear right and anybody i think that's ever done any stage work will know this is i can remember the byword funny enough because i'm a big big wagner <laughs> let, me, let me adjust that uh, the, the music of Wagner, I love. Wagner, I probably wouldn't invite around to dinner. But the, <laughs> So let me, let me make that very clear right at the very beginning. But, so I can remember going to that theatre, and we were doing Macbeth, which is okay to say here in the Newman Commercial Centre. Uh, you can't say that if you're at the Churchill. But, um, so I, I love the theatre, and, and I love the history of it. Mm. It was really exciting. And I can remember waiting to go on. And I don't know if you've ever, if you've yeah. ever had this. Just that cold sweat that mm-hmm. just you cannot remember any of the lines and you're sitting there going why 
in the name of everything. What on earth am I doing this for? Oh, good Lord. And I would, I would have a terrible thing when my voice would catch. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter how prepared I was or anything. I would, that, there would be a sort of, kind of like a guttle stop. Mm, a bit yeah. like what I had earlier on, but I wasn't I wasn't going to mention it. You mentioned being wonderful, darling. Thanks, love it. But you do that yeah. for a scene, and it goes well. And the exhilaration when you come off is just Incredible. just extraordinary. And having, having sort of gone from military to theatre, to business, to politics, which is a, a, it's an odd arc, I, I will give you that. Something that people confuse is they confuse having worked in theatre with doing public speaking or, or being able to debate. Mm-hmm. And the two are not connected, right? The two are not connected. Because when you're performing, this is the script, you've rehearsed it over and over and over mm-hmm. again, you know what's going to happen. I mean, 95% of the time, people are going to say what you expect yeah. them to say. It's entirely different in a public debate, entirely different in a public debate. But if I did learn anything, it was the it was to know that mm. that fear. Do you want me to let the, the police car go? No, this, this is part of the film. It is. This is They've been very noisy today around Bromley. That's because they can't find me. I'm in here. I'm safe. Um, but but it was the knowledge that I got from them knowing that the fear passes. So yeah. it's that that public speaking and and, and something that we, we don't have. In a lot of adult schools, especially you know people from my background, council estate, state school stuff like that, is they don't do enough of that public speaking mm. training, and I think that would be really valuable that, that more young people have that because the ability to speak in front of people and to speak confidently or faking confidence until it comes mm. along, I think is invaluable. Yeah, and you know what, I love what you've said there because also you've had such a varied career. Yeah, I can't make my mind up. <laughs> you know what? I'm a bit like that. I've gone from interior design to uh, working in ex- executive sales to a primary teacher to a professional figure skate to do what I do now, yeah. coaching. So I've kind of had that. But it's interesting where you talk about taking, you know, what you did in theatre and what you do in your public speaking yeah. as your job now, how different it is, but there are some valuable skills there. Um, and I had the same question. People would say to me, oh, well, you're a professional figure skater. You're used to being on stage mm. and flaunting it and dancing and all of that. But I didn't have to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I can act and do And yes, I froze sometimes thinking, oh, my God, I don't remember my routine. Like, you would yeah. get the, the knot yeah. in your throat. So it's similarities. Yeah. Uh, but then when I, had to, when I have to do public speaking now, it's sometimes I get a bit, Ooh. But well, I'm alright now. The fear doesn't go. No. It's how, you, you, it's how you cope with it, I yeah. think, that changes over time. Yeah. Um, and adapting, that's both for you to yeah. your audience of who you're speaking to. Yes, that, that's, that's a very astute point. It's, it's who are you speaking to and how should you speak to them, the best way to communicate, mm-hmm. the best way to be understood as yeah. best you can. Um, so yes, yeah, so, so then, you know, our, our, our glorious little surprise package came along <laughs> and he's delightful and taller than me now, which is... It's not. It's not that hard, but but it is. It is kind of weird having it. Isn't it? Now, now we haven't measured. We did kind of have this debate with um, Sir Bob Neil, didn't we? Yeah. Who's taller? Yeah. Yeah, so Bob and Neil are both words that mean to reduce height. It always makes me giggle. But it's, it's small things come in lovely little packages, they don't do. they? Thank you. That's my my mum used to say that to yes. me, and uh, it's not true. Mm. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, yeah. Then, then I had to get a, a mm. proper job. So I uh, went over to I worked in newspapers um, with local local media um, as uh, as an ops manager doing uh, learning and development and, and things with them. So we had this is back this is back towards the end of the the noughties, before <laughs> the the big crash. You know, so this is back in the day when we had thick local newspapers going mm. through the door twice a week. Lots of advertisements in there, sport on the back page, all sorts of stuff. And in the 10 years that I was with uh, NewsQuest, who would do the, the news shopper here, um, we had about 200 titles. We had the USA Today in the States. Uh, you know, those, those important publications, and, uh, and it's not talked about enough, actually, the, the loss of local news. It's one of the reasons mm-hmm. we set the podcast up, Absolutely. because we saw, uh, there were three newspapers in the borough, now there's two or one and a half um, and yeah. the, the new shopper itself talks more about the other boroughs than Bromley and the Bromley new shopper 
Uh, I had an old copy which said the circulation was 61,000. The last time I saw they quoted it was 31. Mm. Uh, so Massive we drop. need a broadcast. And they're not, they're not circulation anyway. Um, yeah. I, I used to work print. on this. This is, this is print. This is where you're, yeah. you're dumping them in those little sort of you know, stands that you see outside of estate agents. And it's a real loss. And I don't think people, people understand that. Couldn't agree more. Uh, I've got a question for you about the, the GLA again. Uh, I do have a minor insight into its early past, yeah. uh, because uh, I went into the then GLA building, the one that's slightly wonky, as it were, <laughs> um, before it was occupied by the GLA. Yeah. So I went round in the blue builder's shoes, Okay. okay? Yeah. Uh, and I saw the area where the debates happened and that yeah. kind of a thing. What's the atmosphere like there? Because we had... Um, uh, when we had Bob Neal, we had him imitate the uh, the booing of Question Time at Parliament. <laughs> but is it more civilised? Uh, I don't know from that building, mm. uh, because that with that building has now, for reasons that are beyond understanding, <laughs> uh, that the mayor's moved us out of that that building. My election in May twenty one, mm. there were still the COVID restrictions. Of course. So the, the, a lot of the meetings that were there were still hybrid. And then the building closed in November, so we were homeless for about four or five months, working out of Union Street and various other mm-hmm. um, temporary accommodation. And now we're in the new building, which is out in Newham. And if I'm honest, people don't visit it. So you only have one or two people in the in the in the gallery for for any of these meetings, which is a shame. And I like I wasn't a member of the London Assembly when. The mayor took the decision to, to move us out of that building. Yeah, it isn't allowed. It was like it when I got here, Gulf. But but I think there is a responsibility to those previous members that they should really have fought that decision mm. to move the building. And if you've been there, because it's not mm. owned by government, mm. bizarrely, when when the the London when the when the mayoralty was set up and the London Assembly scrutiny board was was formed, this building was constructed as a Norman Foster building, and you would have seen it. It's it, um, it featured in one of the James Bond movies. It had that spiral staircase. Yeah, it's quite disorienting being in it, actually, in a it, way. It was a, it was a purpose-built debating chamber. Mm. For some reason, owned by, I think, a Saudi pension fund. <laughs> I, I don't know. But they must have bought it thinking, well, look, here is a, a building that's been purposefully designed for the London mayoralty mm. to be a debating chamber. This is going to be all right for rent, isn't it? <laughs> you know, <okay. laughs> it doesn't make sense, why, yeah. Why the hell would anyone ever leave this building? Mm. Um, but the decision's been taken to leave that building and, and, and move out to Newham, and it's a real shame, because where it was in the heart of London, I think people would have come up to debate. It, it used to, the one or two times that we did have one in there, the, the gallery was packed. People knew where to go. It was a focal mm. centre. It was right. it was right on the river. It was right in, in London Bridge, in that more London area that's been that's been redeveloped. And we don't have that now. So it's kind of a it's kind of a dead atmosphere for these debates. Are they civil? Mm. Um, no, I think that's the the interaction between <laughs> the mayor and members of the assembly is disappointing a lot of the time. If I'm honest, childish. I would go as far as to say. Well, to return to our positive <laughs> theme of the podcast. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, no, no. It's very interesting. You, you want to know, as you right, said right at the beginning, you want an honest answer. Yeah, yeah. Nice answer yes. And you it's only have to listen to Question Time in the main part of the country to know that sometimes it can get pretty bad there. But, but can, I, can I come back? Yeah, you can. Uh, um, where I think there is public misunderstanding is of where the business of debates are done. So mm. with... Parliament, people will watch PMQs. PMQs is theatre. There's nothing of any useful outcome there for members of the public. I, th- I would think that for parliamentarians, they'd be watching their guys in the front row thinking, right, is she doing well? Is he doing well? And they'd be sizing them up. There was a, there was a Churchill quote, which is quite famous. He was, he was on the front bench in Parliament and one eager young MP sort of leant forward and tapped him on the shoulder and said, look at them over there, pointing at the, the Labour benches, you know. How, how, do you, how do you deal with the... I wish our listeners could see yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm morphing, I'm morphing. Yeah. How, do, how do you deal with, you know, the, the, the enemy? And Churchill said, the enemy? They're not the enemy, they're the opposition. The enemy's behind me. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so, so it's theatre, right? Yeah. And it's the same with MQTs, that's theatre. People are asking questions because they're 
perhaps trying to wrong foot him because mm. we live in this awful social media age people mm-hmm. also trying to get little clips that they can put out everyone's doing it that they can put out on a social media or whatever and the mayor's trying to be funny and you know it doesn't work where what's useful is next week i'm chairing uh, a budget and performance committee which will be streamed mm-hmm. but no one will watch it there are different rules, so you're not limited for the amount of time you've got. This, people maybe don't understand. But when you're at MQTs and, and we're saying, Mr. Mayor, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, it's because we've only got four minutes. So the mayor deliberately tries to make his answer three minutes, 30 seconds long. So you've only got 30 seconds to ask a follow-up and you run out of time. So you can't get any business done in that. But, but so next week at my budget committee, we've got the Metropolitan Police, the Fire Brigade and the London Ambulance Service in. And we're talking about how the tens of millions of pounds that have been spent to update their computer networks, how that's coming along, how they're talking to each other. If you think about something like the Fire Brigade, and 14th next week, of course, is five years since um, Grenfell. So mm. it's, it's, it's an interesting time to come and look at this. How are their updated systems talking to each other? How are they getting information from central control? How can you get better command and control on the scene of an incident? You know, these are all things that fell out of that, of that review. This is important stuff. There'll be proper questions asked there. There'll be proper scrutiny there. And no one will watch. No <laughs> one will watch. And it's the same in Parliament. I bet your bottom dollar today in Parliament, in the committee rooms, all over the palace, people are doing important stuff. They're doing important scrutiny work. There, you haven't got the theatre, you haven't got the Yabu suck stuff going on. You've got smart people trying to figure something mm. out, but no one will watch. So I think people have a false perception sometimes of what politics is. Mm. It's an interesting aspect. You know, you've got four roles that are on your website that talk yeah. about this, and they're all scrutiny because you're a scrutineer, as yeah. you said. Uh, and also on the website, there is my plan for Bromley and Bexley. Now, there are several things on there, yeah. some of which are more political than others. Yeah. Um, as a member of the GLA, uh, how do you manage to help to deal with two of them, for example, one of which is protect our green spaces yeah. and the other one which is help local businesses bounce back? Yeah. Um, again, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, depending on my legal advice. Uh, so that, that website needs updating. So a lot of the, what's on that website is was put together during the campaign, and that's just because... Um, I'm rubbish at technical stuff and I don't actually know how to change it. (laughs) (laughs) Cameron, if you're listening, can you hurry up and do that change, please? Uh, (laughs) um, So you you do it indirectly. There's two ways of doing it. So in terms of the green spaces, for example, which is very, very important to residents in Bexley and Bromley, it's where do you intervene with decisions that are being made at, which the Mayor's taking at City Hall. Our green spaces in Bromley are under real threat of inappropriate development. I'm not going to shy away from the fact that we need housing, we need tons of housing. In mm. fact, um, if, you, if you look at a lot of the challenges that we face in terms of cost of living, uh, community integration, childcare, all that stuff, a lot of that comes back to having insufficient housing supply. But where do you put it? The, the city hall, the mayor's office, is very inner London-centric. And, and you, if we get to the ULES debate, we can discuss this. It's very inner centric And I don't, think it's, I don't think it's malicious. I don't think that um, it's even political to a certain extent. It's just that your perception is your reality. And if you live in Camden or Islington or, or mm. uh, you know, inner London, you have a very different life experience to if you live in actually in Bromley. Right. Just before this interview, when we were chatting downstairs, we were talking to somebody in the office here who lives in Bexley and they were talking about the sort of the, the difficulty with travel because there are no yeah. tubes there's very limited buses so mm-hmm. uh, uh, people that live in outer London use their cars a great deal to move around because the options are quite mm-hmm. quite limited so when um, they're making decisions in inner London about housing or talking about uh, you know taking up Greenbelt or uh, changing the way that a borough is, is laid out they don't necessarily think about it from an outer London context. So uh, you, you can't have a direct impact on some of these decisions as you can as a, as a local councillor, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier, but you can see the way that mayoral directions are headed to say, I can see how this is going to impact the people I represent in a way that would be mm-hmm. negative, and you can, you can point that out in the scrutiny process. 
did I answer that okay? I, I felt like yeah. I lost my yeah, thing no. there a little bit. Um, and then the second part of it is is being an advocate. Because you are, people will immediately go to an MP and you're probably second on the list for somebody they'll find when they, they Google. Mm. So I spend a huge amount of time talking to residents, understanding what the issue is that they've got and then saying, look, I know the person to talk to and, and, and sort of like helping, them, helping them that way, directing mm. them that way. And, and the third point of the two points I was going to make is um, around spotting funding. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are lots of little packets and pockets of funding kicking around the, the GLA that you have to be on your toes to spot. And, and that could be for um, you know, summer projects, it could be for uh, special focus on certain types of um, uh, you know, community cohesion funding and stuff like that. So it's spotting that and then going to either Teresa in Bexley or Colin in Bromley and saying, have you seen, have you seen this? Mm. I'm not sure it is interesting, but thank you. No, it is. <laughs> I'm learning a lot here today. <laughs> right, talking about Bromley locally, yeah. um, mm. do you have favourite places and events uh, around here? I love everywhere in Bexley and Bromley equally and with, a, with, a, with an equal passion, and I don't have favourites, just like my children. Oh, sorry, Z, do we have a politician in the room? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said I would tell you the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Horses for courses, I suppose. If you'll excuse the cliche, it's um, but it's it's a beautiful borough, mm. um, and I knew I wanted to move here. So go, going back to when I talked about a little surprise mm. coming along, at that point I had the most amazing flat um, uh, ever. It was such good fun. If it, do either of you know Toss Hill? I do. It's yeah. a very right. very vibrant community. Now. It has now. It was a. Yeah. Sh- it was not a great. It was. <laughs> It needed some work when I was there. <laughs> but that's why it's a great community, because yeah. they've come together to make a difference. Yeah. It, it, it's got challenges, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, so I, well, I had a flat. Uh, I was on the estate. I, I, I grew up on uh, the later part of my childhood on the estate up in West Norwood, behind the Horns Tavern pub, which uh, my mum and dad used to run when they were, when they were still together. So I, that, that area was just, that was my entire childhood. And I ended up with a flat down by Tolls Hill Station. Mm. And there's a big pub next to the station called the Railway. Yep, been in it. Good man. <laughs> there's, there's a greasy spoon. I think it's either the next one or the one along. Been in that too. Right. We yep. had a flat above it. Ah. And there was me, and I was, I was, you know, you know, poncing around the world acting. And then one of my flatmates, Mark, was a photographer, and the the other guy was a cartoonist. So it was it was like three men and a little lady before the baby come along. Do you remember that film? Yeah. yeah. We had this just this wild and wacky. It was everything was back to hours for parties. You could sort of lean out the window and shout down to the railway and say, "Get them in, we're on our way," you know, and then order a bacon sandwich out the other window. You know, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Um, and my wife was she was staying there whilst I was off do, doing the tour, and the baby was coming along. And it's like, okay, well this this isn't going to work. Now my friend, my, my a friend I was at school with, his dad was a school caretaker and he came out to work in one of the Bromley schools when I was about 18, 19, something like that. And I can remember driving out to, I can remember the first time I drove to Bromley, I mean literally driving down this road outside where we're being interviewed now, thinking, where the hell is this? Mm. Be- because it, I, I'd been in that sort of inner London built up area, I can remember driving through Shortlands, getting down to Warpington where he was living, there were things which I later learned were called trees. And there was all this sort of stuff, and I thought, this is amazing. I couldn't believe it was in mm. London, right? Again, it comes back to that transport network. Mm. Yeah, if you're in West Norwood, Tulls Hill, there's absolutely no way you're getting yeah, you out to get Orpington or, or Bromley, right? Mm. Um, which is why we used to go to Croydon. All those weekends I used to waste in Croydon, good Lord. Um, but I survived, don't worry, uh, minimal scarring. Uh, so Here to tell <laughs> the story. <laughs> uh, my colleague, Neil Garrett, on the assembly was going to beat me up. Um, so when the, when the baby was coming, I was like, I know where we need to go. We need to go to to, to Bromley, mm-hmm. and it was uh, the best decision because it's Bromley, and now I'm getting to know Bexley as well. Very similar communities. Mm. It's so open and friendly and green and safe and clean. And look, I know people will be shouting at their phone or device, wherever they listen to this on. Go. There are, of course, there are challenges. Of course, of course. there are challenges, but. 
I sometimes joke and think, you know what, once a year we should all get on a bus and visit somewhere. I won't name anywhere, but just, mm-hmm. just go and spend a day somewhere and come back and go, all right, we've got things to work on, but this is a lovely, lovely place to live. But it's like with any place, it's always got its challenges, um, time changes, we, yeah. it's evolution, and we've got to adapt with those changes yeah. and then step back a bit and then regrow yeah. those areas that we need to improve on. I agree. You I mean, know, there's so much mission. stuff to do here, which I think was the second part of the question. Is, there is. You know, the, the, the Churchill Theatre, um, I've got the Bromley Arts Festival leaflet in front of me, the Churchill Theatre, I think, has gone from strength to strength over the last couple of years. The shows Absolutely. that are there are really strong. Um, the working with the, the guys down at Norman Park for the development down mm. there, which is the, the, the racing track, which produced Dina Asher-Smith. Yep. Um, that's that's looking amazing. The, the football club next door to it, they're going from strength to strength. I think we were at the match the other day, yeah. uh, which was which was brilliant. Wembley. Wembley, again, mm. so different to, was it four years ago? Uh, when we lost in the finals, final. yeah, yeah that, was, told. that was yeah, the second time I've been there, it's been years and it was yeah, so yeah. beautiful. Because we had the great pleasure of interviewing the manager of the football club right. and okay. also the then president of Blackheath and Bromley Harriers. So okay. we yeah. covered those and we'll be back. Oh, we had Dina Masha-Smith running around in the background while I was doing yeah. that. <laughs> She was pretty nippy, actually. Yeah, I, I met her a few years ago, and it's sports people are incredible. Um, mm. I, just because of the nature of what I've done, I, I've, listeners, I've met prime ministers, I've met monarchs, I've met you know actors, Oscar-winning actors, all sorts of stuff. It's and it's and it's nothing to do with me, by the way. I just I just seem to turn up. <laughs> just, I'm just around. Um, we, we've got it. Every time we try to interview someone at Bromley Football Club, it turns out to be a girlfriend of one of the players. Or even their mothers. <laughs> of uh, the presenters. Or both. Yeah, or both. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but sports people are, are really impressive. Because if you, you know, I, I, know, I know sometimes what's weird if you've ever been in the arts is there, there are people who I worked with 20 years ago who you would think, they're not getting anywhere. And now you turn on the telly and they're leading a, a big show on Netflix and you're like, how did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> there's, an element of, there's an element of chance and luck. Going into this. If you meet somebody that's the best in the world at tennis, they're the best in the world at tennis. There's not, mm. there's not a question here. Mm. If you meet Dina Asher-Smith, she's the fastest teenager in the world. There is not somebody that runs that fast living in Inverness somewhere that just no one's had a chat with. That, so it's, it's just unquestionable that they have that skill, that innate talent. And then the rest of it, which is the hard work. And you'll know this from your, yeah. your figure skating tape. It's just hours and hours of Train. running around and around. Training and, around. and the mindset and the resilience. Yep. And they're, they're so impressive. Well, well to be so fair, impressive. if you're going to be sitting in a three-hour meeting without much of an outcome, you need a bit of resilience <laughs> of your own. <laughs> you do, yeah. Yeah, mental. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, maybe that's the perfect time to ask, you know. Uh, how do you manage your mental health and well-being when you're confronted with certain challenges or say people who you do not resonate with and you've got to sit there and listen to them um, but also um, the balance between work and life your home life better than I did if, I, if I'm honest um, I wasn't very good at it when I first started mm-hmm. you, you Again, going back to, to the theatre, they say that an actor believes every bad thing that's said about them. And, you, you know, you do. I can, I can remember once, I think it was Time Out, that said I was a cross between Mark Owen and Ray Liotta from Goodfellas, which was really... I, just, I can remember that. I don't remember any of the good ones, but I remember that one because that quite, that quite bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't prepared for getting into politics and some of the poison that, that comes with it, which, which is upsetting. It's, it's when you're misrepresented. Mm. it's when you because you're essentially when, when you have a role like I did at a local authority or say for an MP you're essentially taking decisions right and I overwhelmingly believe of all the politicians I've met all the different political parties I know I've said that a couple of times but it's really important that people understand that people in different political parties work well with each other away from the theatre bit mm. um, you might have three really difficult issues that are all, all, all require funding and, and all of those issues are very very important to the people that are lobbying you about it and you will spend hours thinking it through and you'll try and get the right result and you will you will allocate funding you'll allocate time mm. capacity whatever the best you can to get the result that you think is best from your informed decision making but naturally all three of them are going to think you've made the bad decision a bad decision because they haven't got everything that they want so you're, you're constantly balancing 
um, disappointment in a way. Mm. And that has been really heightened by social media. It's yeah. just awful. It's just awful. Um, and very, very, very uh, upsetting at points and, and, and quite depressing. Which is why you just don't, people don't use it or they have people do it for them. Mm. Um, so how do I manage? I'm really lucky. I mentioned one of them. I mentioned their names because I'll get a kick out of it. So Declan, who's my oldest friend, I think I've known him since I was nine, ten. Okay. Um, we're still mates and he's completely normal. He's the most <laughs> average, normal, I don't know what dumb, is normal. <laughs> slightly odd looking fellow. Uh, go Declan. <laughs> he's nice. What was Scooby Doo's mate in uh, that Shaggy. Shaggy? Yeah, he's a bit like Shaggy but balding. Um, but he's completely normal, right? And he, he is a, he's a printer, designer, and he goes to work, he loves his family, he takes his boy to football, and we'll occasionally meet up in the Maxwell, or go to go watch the Palace. And he's brilliant, right? Because I say, Dick, people are shouting at me about this, and there's all this whinging going on, you know, what, what does it matter? And he'll say, ah, no one cares. No one real cares. Mm. Because you can get sucked into the kind of beltway nature of, of politics and you forget. Mm. And, and, and Joe, who uh, we were all at school together, um, who completely other end of the spectrum, he does something in investment banking that none of us understand. Um, he, again, he, he is, is a great one to talk to and say, this is, a, this is quite a complex problem. And he will, he will analyse it and he will, he will be really good at giving me advice to strip the emotion out of it. Now, as a politician, you can't strip the emotion out of it. It's really important to have that emotion in there. And this is where you need to, to, to balance what you do with your mental health. Because people will say that politicians need the, the, you know, a thick hide. They need the hide of a rhino. I think you get bad politicians when that happens. Mm. There, there are times you turn on television, the television and you will see somebody who just seems entirely balmy. And that's probably because they've been in the job for such a long time, they've developed such thick skin yeah. that they don't have that ability to empathise, they don't have that ability to understand. So you have to, in a way, leave yourself vulnerable. Mm. So Joe, as I say, who, who sort of works in, in a very senior position in the commercial sector, he takes decisions without that emotion. Declan will say, this is what people really care about. And, it's, and so it's really good to have those normals, I call them my normals, you know, the civilians to go to and talk about it, and, that, and that's, that's the balance. And I'm very blessed to have probably the most excellent person I've ever met in, in my wife, and, and I'm not just saying that, she's flipping unimaginably extraordinary, just, a, just an extraordinary woman who is very good at popping the, 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 the bubble of, of conceit, of nonsense that comes with politics. She's very good at that. What's the first name of this paragon? Uh, Anna, Anna Marie. Okay. Uh, she's an extraordinary woman. She, she's a primary school teacher, a phase leader, doing all that stuff. She wanted a challenge, so retrained as a solicitor. Yes. <laughs> it's just amazing. She's getting a second master's degree. See, and she's just, she's wicked. That's I only amazing. Have I only have wrap-up questions left. Okay. I've just got rattling on No, again. that's just... Do you happen. know what? I think it's absolutely amazing because I could talk to you for hours and hours and that's why I'm going to get you on my show. Oh, that's it, that's it. <laughs> um, I can talk for hours and hours. The mindset matters. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, you, you've hit so many things on... Um, nails on the head or heads on the nails. I don't know that saying, whatever it something's is. Something's been struck. Yeah, yes. something. In terms of empathy, um, having some vulnerability, mm. because, like I said earlier on, it's about being human. Yeah. And then you're able to build those relationships and relate to people well. And, you know, I can't imagine being a politician myself. I don't think I ever could be um, mm. because I'm too empathetic and too emotional. Um, so, again, it's about finding that balance. Um, I just want to end off with one yeah. more question. Um, if you were to give it some advice to younger younger generation who want to go into politics... Yeah. What would that advice be in terms of maintaining who they are, their mental health and well-being? Of course, it has to be around that. What advice would you give them? Okay, I'm going to come at this a different way, but I yep. promise I will answer. I'm lucky that when I was... I, I didn't want to get into politics when I was younger. I slightly um, I, I 
distrustful of anybody that does want to be foreign secretary when they're 15. There's clearly something odd with them. Um, but I'm very lucky that <laughs> when I was out in Canada or Hamburg with, uh, with my mates from the military, when I was on tour with the theatre, and when I was out with Deck, you know, staying out later than I should have done, I'm very lucky that when I was young, you didn't have cameras and phones and stuff like that. Because I don't think I could have enjoyed... I'm not saying I did anything wrong, but, but you, you, you do crazy stuff. You experience things when you're young that are really valuable for when you mature. Because you've had that experience. You've had an emotional experience. You've, had things, you've, you've done things that you never thought you'd be able to do and you're really pleased you pushed yourself. You've done some things that you can spend decades thinking, why on earth did I do that? That was so stupid. Mm. But you do this with the, the strength and the effervescence of youth. And we could do it. All three of us, we grew up in a time when your, your childhood was kind of like an etch-a-sketch. So you got mm. to 20 and you could just shake it, right? And you mm. could start again. Yep. 30, you could start again as you mature. And you, now, what's really hard for kids mm. is that the future prime minister of this country is probably out somewhere having inappropriate photographs taken of her at a school event or something like that. Mm. That's going to come back and get her 20 years in the future. So yeah. for, for younger people, I wonder why they want to get into an environment really, really early <laughs> where <laughs> mm. there's all that, that pressure. Because I don't know how you're going to have your life experiences. Mm. Take that journey you need to take whilst living under the pressure and scrutiny that, that one does as a... One does? When did I start saying things like one does? <laughs> that you do as, a, as, as an elected representative. Because there is... Yesterday at London Bridge, uh, the trains were delayed. So I thought, I know, I'll have a pint. That seemed like a truly sensible thing to do whilst the, 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 the trains were getting sorted out. So I had, um, I'm reading some Graham Green at the moment. I've never read Graham Green before. It's very good mm -hmm. if you haven't. Yeah. Um, so I went to the Sutton Park with my book and ordered a pint. And because everybody had the same idea as me, a couple of minutes after me, however, because I think quite quickly about when I can have a pint, um, the pub started to fill up quite quickly and I'd occupied I was one of those annoying guys on their own and occupied a four seat table <laughs> and I could see people at the bar going that's not right that's not right <laughs> and I thought first one that first one that's brave enough to come and ask if, if, if they can sit sure. down I, of course so this fella came over Pat huge six foot four um, lovely guy we just got chatting because I like people and we were chatting away and we were getting on absolutely fine and then he asked me the question he says, so what do you do and I'm like, oh, here we go. No. And I want to say, like, you know, I'm a hitman. <laughs> just anything, just anything. Other, I, I, I kill fish and put them back in the river. You know, just anything other than saying I work in politics. Because the minute you say you work in politics, all of a sudden you're not a human being anymore. You are mm. defined by the colour of the rosette and by that person's particular opinion of what they think of that rosette. And you cease to be a human being. Mm. When young people come to me and say, oh, I'm, I'm 19 years old and I want to get elected as an MP, what on earth makes you want to do that? <laughs> what on earth makes you want to do that? Go and travel, go and talk to people, go and do, get some work. Keep an interest, absolutely. Yeah. You know, stay informed. Um, do some really brilliant stuff with local charities. There'll be loads of different lobby groups. There's things you can go and do that. But why, why, why do you want to go, why do you want to be an MP really early? Doesn't make any sense. Sometimes I think, um, which I'm sure you know, and you've done a lot around the education, your yeah. wife, your lovely wife being a primary teacher, it's the pressure sometimes from society of what you should be doing, and I use that word mm. should, or need to be doing, or this is this is what life is, you know, you're born, you go to school, you, go, you do your A-levels, yeah. you go to university, and then you've got family pressures as well, the belief systems around it, so all of that plays a lot, yeah. doesn't it? And it's about breaking through those. But life is longer than it used mm. to be. And I, I, I don't mean just in terms of, of health and what, and what medicine can do. Your career is longer than it's ever going to be. Mm. You're talking, we would all have thought, you go to school, you get a job, you work in a job for, what, 40 years? Mm. Then, it's, then it's a clock, a watch, a final salary, pension, off you go. Yeah. In the meantime, you've bought a house, paid off the mortgage and had two kids. And that doesn't exist anymore, right? Mm. So... At 40, oh, I'm not going to say her age, she'll kill me. Uh, so my wife retraining 
to go to the law, she's got, which is later in life and a second career, she's still got more time of work in front of her mm-hmm. than she's completed. So. so there are different stages in your in life, life now. And I, 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 don't, I can't see that society is going in a direction where we retire in the way that, in the, way that the generation before us retired. I've had 75 plus and he's still working. Yeah, I think people pick up jobs or they they get involved with things and that can be paid or not paid, but Mm -hmm. people stay active a lot more. So for a 20 year old, there are huge pressures, and I've got two teenage kids and I know the pressures that they face, but if you're 20, you're probably looking at, what, what do you reckon, 50 years work, statutory, before you get any kind of pension? That's a long time. That's a long time. Right, well, yes. on to the wrap-up question. Yes, sorry, I'll try and be funny. <laughs> well, I want, I've got a funny question. I struggle with this. I want no. to know what the funniest moment is, so go on. You, you wrap up, go on. <laughs> right. uh, well, you can, you can do what you do normally in an episode and interrupt with anything you consider to be a, a good one for a funny thing. However... Oh, it's um, like a difficult Christmas. <laughs> Stop arguing. <laughs> <laughs> I go upstairs. We don't want to play Jewel Pursuit anyway, leave me alone. <laughs> Sorry, go on, carry on. Right. As GLA member for Bromley and Bexley, mm. uh, what might people contact you about and how should they do so? It's At the moment, it's going to be transport. Uh, so the, the, um, I'm, sh- I'm aware we're short of time. The, the, the expansion of the ULA zone is really concerning people. And that's, and I think a big result of that is they feel like it's being done to them. Um, and I can understand why they, they would feel like that. So let's be completely objective. The, the, the purpose of, of, of the expanded ULA zone is, is purportedly to improve air quality. The, the trouble we have at the moment is there doesn't seem to be any clear data on what the quality of the air is specific to, to outer London. The next big challenge, and again, this is the difference between inner London and outer London, is the, the amount of people that use cars out here. The mayor will say, and, and don't take my word for it, go and look it up afterwards, the mayor will say, only 50% of Londoners own cars. Okay? I asked him, well, which half? <laughs> because you can't treat London like one homogenous blob. In These are figures off the top of my head, so I may be one or two percentage up, but in Camden, I think there is 23% car ownership. In Islington, I think that's about twenty-six percent car ownership. It's low. You come to Bexley, seventy-five percent car ownership. Bromley, seventy-four percent car ownership. Mm. Because you just you use your vehicles differently. Then you've got the demographics. The the expanded ULES, and this is where people will be charged twelve pounds fifty a day to, mm. to drive around. It will hit um, older vehicles and newer diesel vans. Question one: Who is you can see, you can hear Joe in my head now, right, going through the, the ratiocination process. Who's driving those older vehicles? Are wealthy people driving around in a 20-year-old knackered Peugeot because they just can't be asked to buy a Tesla? But that doesn't make any sense. So people who are driving around in older petrol vehicles either can't afford to change the vehicle, are, um, are probably old and they're just using it once or twice a week to run up to the Prue or, or whatever, or it's people who live outside who will be will be driving in because they'll be impacted as mm. well over 50 percent of our teachers in Orpington drive from outside the borough because yeah. of housing costs everything comes back to housing again so they're living outside and driving in if you're a teacher especially starting off in your career to lose 12 pound 50 the minute you drive <laughs> every single day mm. and if you live in seven oaks how do you get in to teach in you know in, in Bickley or somewhere like that, you, you're going to drive, especially if you need to be there at 7 o'clock in the morning. Um, and the other one, the other people that are going to be impacted are people with, say, like a fleet of diesel vans. So, I don't know, maybe dry cleaner people that, that drive around who were told to get diesel vans five or six yes, years ago because it's better. Mm-hmm. So, so people are really concerned about that at the moment. And, and I would encourage them to get in touch with me for two reasons. One is I can allay any fears as to whether or not their vehicles are impacted. They can go online and check that, mm. but some people feel uncomfortable with it, especially this demographic who've got the older vehicles who are actually going to be impacted mm. quite. Um, and then the, the, the second is just to help us to lobby the mayor to make him appreciate what people's concerns are. 
whenever, if you go and look at some of the footage on this, and we had a bit of a ding dong about this the other week, where he said he refused to answer any more of my questions. Bless him. Um, <laughs> um, we're saying, look, we get the air quality issue and send us the data on air quality because I'm, I'm yet to be convinced that Hayes, for example, with its fields, has the same kind of air quality issues as Kensington or, 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 or Lambeth. Mm. I just, I, it just does not compute that you've got the same air quality issue. It just, it just doesn't. Um, but we haven't got any data, so we can't do it. But what we say to him is, you have to understand why people are, are frightened about the financial implication. And he, he doesn't get it. He, he keeps saying, yeah, you're nasty Tories, you, you know, you just car lobby and you're, you, you want people to die from air quality being bad. And we, we're, not, we're not saying that. Mm. It's, if you're going to do this, people are going to be impacted. And how are you going to fund the scrappage scheme? How are you going to help those businesses? He's proposing to spend probably upwards of £400 million pounds on an expanded camera network. Is four hundred million pounds on a camera network that, when you think it through, is going to be redundant in five years? Eighty-two percent of vehicles in outer London are already compliant. So five years, ten years down the line, the majority of vehicles are going to be compliant. So if you spent four hundred, which and that will go over budget. So if it's four hundred, five hundred million pounds on an expanded camera network that's going to be obsolete in five, ten years, is there a better way of spending that money? to get the desired outcome, right? I mean, how much would it cost to make all of the buses electric? Buses are the biggest polluters in, in areas like outer London. Mm. How much, I'm not suggesting this, but how much would it cost to just get everybody a cleaner car? I mean, because if the, if, the, if the result that you're trying to achieve is to improve air quality by removing polluting vehicles, well, <laughs> it, is there another way to do it, you know? so. Um, so to get in touch with me to, to help us to lobby the mayor to make that point. And how do they do it? Uh, so you can contact me on the website. Um, it's peterfortune.co.uk. You can email me at peter.fortune at london.gov.uk. I do have the Twitter. Um, I'm entirely honest with you. I, it's got to the point now where I don't look at the messages. You can tell when it's me tweeting because I'll tweet something stupid like, "Oh, I just fell over in Sainsbury's," and you can. You can yeah. yeah, there was a, there was a good one the other day I was thinking about mentioning, which consisted of the word "root" yes, right, after, so. after 100 at most. I think it was. So, so that was when that was when Joe Root hit 10,000. Yeah, he hit 10,000. Yeah, you can tell it's me. Stuff like stuff that's two o'clock in the morning. The things like you know, why does a glue stick to the inside of a tube? That's me. <laughs> and then the people that do the did, if you see Boris performing for London, someone else has done that. Done that. <laughs> but, but it's got to the point where I've stopped. Again, it's so vile online that you, you, you put something like, you know, uh, this morning my daughter's hair looks like a pineapple. I would never do that. Um, but, <laughs> but underneath you're just good. Yeah, that's because of Brexit. And then <laughs> just, just, just the abuse just piles oh, on underneath there. It's like, I can't really bother with it. Yeah. So the best thing to do, the best thing to do is email. Um, because I, I, I do go through them and I will get back to you. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, I think that's probably it. Yeah, I, I think so. Probably. That's well, let's, let's end off with a really funny thing. So tell us, just right. before we end, mm. the most, I suppose, funniest moment for you in your career so far. Oh, gosh. Or the crazy things that happen, or a comment, or a speech, or anything that's... Yeah. It's funny. It's it's. I know. So Bob Neal told us something. Obviously, it was off the podcast. Oh yeah, podcast, but, but, wasn't uh, it? it was okay to be used. It's okay. Anyway, it was basically yeah, about a toilet seat. He went to yeah. He, he was as a MP. I think he was mm. um, charged with presenting to a trade awards somebody with a toilet seat uh, in, in braver embossed. And likewise, Gareth yeah. Bacon's one was when he was in a lobby in Parliament and some had gone in the wrong one and what right. they were trying to do about lurking around to the absolute end so they didn't get counted and they didn't yeah. have staining instead of voting. <laughs> yeah, nothing amusing has ever happened to me. I <laughs> doubt <laughs> it. The, 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 the stuff is weird. There is, there is sometimes things are weird, right? And it, I, I can remember, I mean, it, it is a huge... For everything I've said where the London Assembly needs to change and it needs to be updated and needs to be effective, it is a massive privilege. And what, what is odd, having this position, is you're still you mm. and you haven't really changed and you know you're just a bit of a prat really, right? <laughs> but, but you're working hard and you're doing best, etc. But then there's the persona of you 
So what's weird is you sort of occasionally you're on telly or you'll, you'll be someone, somebody be, someone will be looking at you. Um, and so, so things can sometimes be surreal. And I can remember the first mayor's question time, sitting in that horseshoe, looking at the mayor, and it felt like I was watching telly. And then you remember, oh God, it's me, I'm here. <laughs> this is bizarre. And so, that, so everything about it is surreal. And that, mm. that's, what's in, that's what's important. So it's sort of bringing it all together. It's to appreciate the, how surreal it is, value the, the responsibility and the privilege for having the, the job, the opportunity to do the job, to remember to keep the emotions, to, to have the empathy, to listen to people. But to work hard and to look at the data and make the decisions that you genuinely feel are best for those people you represent. And if you can, if you can keep that package together, you'll probably just about stay on the right side of normal. Mm. Thank I you. Like that. Thank you, Peter Fortry. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much.